All right, everybody, welcome to Studio B. I am Pastor Holman, your host. Thank you for joining us on this week's episodes um, where we provide bold and, and relevant topics every single week here on Studio B. If you're watching, make sure you go to our Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and if you go on to YouTube, make sure, you, make sure that you click subscribe and then also that little bell so to keep you updated on all of our new information that's coming forward. Today, I have a very special guest with us in the studio today, Mr. Art Allen. Um, we're going to be talking about something that needs to be talked about that is not talked about nearly enough, and that is uh, entrepreneurship and economic advancement, um, especially in the culture that we find ourselves in today. We're right now in the What's Next movement. Uh, we've protested. George Floyd is now about 30 days old. We come, on, come and go in a month afterwards. Now we need to get into the transition of talking about what's next as we move forward in this process. So, Mr. Art Allen, thank you for joining us here at the set of Studio B. Thank you for having me, Pastor Holman. This is uh, a man that I have known. Now, I guess we went to Africa in 2016? No, we went to Africa together in 2013 and 2000, 14. 2013 and 14. Yes, sir. So um, he's actually been on some mission trips with us and uh, just a great man. And I'm excited for uh, our studio and our guests to hear about his story. Um, what today, let me just kind of set the scene if I can. Um, we've talked about a lot of stuff here on Studio B in the last few weeks. We talked about uh, police reform. We talked about educational reform. We talked about judicial reform. Um, and on today's topic, we want to talk about something that is near and dear to my heart, and that's economic reform, okay. uh, economic advancement, if you will. Um, how do we move the needle to put people in a better position financially? Uh, what's the process? How, what do we do? Um, but in doing so, let me just kind of set this from a 30,000-foot view. Let me get your views on what's going on in our current culture right now. Well, there's a lot going on, Pastor, in our current culture. You've mentioned the George Floyd thing, and uh, that has triggered and have become a tipping point for many of us with regard to race relations, with regard to judicial reform, with regard to how policing is done in America of course, at the end of the day, we have to do all of that while trying to steer our way through a pandemic called COVID-19, which just about no one alive has dealt with. Uh, I'm told that the last pandemic of this level in brevity was way back in 1918. And so there's just a lot going on, actually, a whole lot. So, and there's a lot of uncertainty right now, and what we're trying to do right now, Art, is really try to drive the conversation to a practical level well, we can talk about some grassroots solutions that we can move forward with. Um, and I think that's one of the things that's missing here today. And so with we're talking about with economic advancement, um, if you can just allow me, I think this is one of the things that we fail to um, address in a very holistic way. We teach people about history, English, math. Um, my kids are graduating high school, 12 years of school, without any type of formal training in economics, how to manage a checkbook, how to do better with their finances. And then we release them into a world where money is going to literally infiltrate every single part of their life. And so as you, uh, being someone that has been very successful in your business career, um, can you explain to us the value of money or how you see money? Well, for starters, money is the most universally tradable commodity. As an example, let's say you're a pig farmer and I happen to be a car dealer, which I am. Well, everybody's not gonna trade pigs for cars, 
but everybody's going to trade money for cars. Everybody's going to trade money for pigs. So in its purest sense, money is the most basic economically tradable commodity. Of course, money's always in decline. And so that's why we have to make sure that our investments regarding money exceed the inflation rate. As an example, I may be dating myself here, but a few days ago, I was shopping for groceries. And, you know, at the checkout stand, you've always got these little inflated price things that they want you to buy. I looked at a pack of spearmint gum. It says $1.68. Now, you get eight slices in a pack of spearmint gum today, but when I was a kid, you could buy that for six cents. Mm. <laughs> okay, I'm like, geez, guys, am I this old? So, again, money's always in decline. You've got to make sure that, that the money that you are able to hold on to that has been invested at a rate that's faster than the inflation rate or it's worth less. Okay, so, so, so dive a little bit deeper with that, uh, R, because when you're talking about money, um, I talk about with, with people that I train and we talk about um, there are two things that you're never going to be avoid, uh, to avoid, and that's death and money. That's going to infiltrate every single part of your life. It takes money to live. It takes money to die. But many of us, especially in our community, have not been taught about the value of the dollar, how to make it, how to make it work, how to practically save. So when you're talking about the value of the money and that it's in decline and we got to make sure that our money is right, how do you do that? What's the starting point? Well, first of all, the starting point is in earning money. If you're not earning it, you don't have it to save, you don't have that, the benefit of that. And the best way that I know how to earn money is by creating value. As an example, when we say value, value is an equivalent return in money for materials, for product, and our services. And so the more of those things that you can provide to your customers, to your client base, the more money you're going to gain, the more profit you're going to gain in return. It's all about creating value. Uh, you have to multiply that value. And then once you create value and multiply that value, money and economic advancement is a natural law of the universe that's going to follow. So creating the value. So if you're looking at right now in 2020, um, it's been this way for a long time. There is an economic gap that exists um, in our culture, and I'm talking about our culture in particular, and we'll get to the larger view in just a second, but our culture in particular, um, there's an economic gap between the have and the have-nots. How does one begin to bridge that gap? Is um, is that just something that's just par for the course? Is, you know, my mama was poor, um, I heard her mama was poor, and so therefore I'm going to be poor? Is it is it generational? Is there a point in which you can break out of that trend? I mean, what are the practical applications of closing this economic gap that does exist right now in our culture? Well, Pastor, for starters, it's not generational. You know, we have a, a lot of things going on in America right now that, that none of us are proud of, yet still, haven't had an opportunity to travel abroad, Africa with you and your group, uh, many of the European countries, uh, as far uh, toward the Eastern world as Dubai, some of South America, Canada, Mexico. America is still the land of opportunity. America is still the best place and the quickest place and easiest place on earth to go from being a have not to have mm. in terms of economic empowerment is concerned. And it, it basically boils down to 
learning how to create value, multiplying that value, but part of learning how to create value is learning how to become the right kind of person, okay? As an example, all things being equal, because I know you, I'd prefer to do business with you, because you know me, you'd prefer to buy a car from me. However, if my car is X amount higher than Joe's car, we all want value, as, as an example. In my career, which is 41 years in the automobile industry, I've sold m cars to paupers and millionaires and every social church and I group in between. However, here's somebody I've never sold a car to. I've never met a single customer who said, Art, you seem like a nice fella. Why don't you make yourself a nice big commission on me? Mm. Because that's not the value point. Everybody, value is universally built in. We all want the most for the least. You know, we, we joke about people having champagne taste with our, with our beer budget, but hey, guess what? Even millionaires have that, yeah. okay, because they want to be on the side of value. So in creating the value, is that a self-internal look? Well, okay, again, we talk about value in return for money. That value could be traded for material. That could be traded for a service. That could be traded for the approach that's presented. As an example, I learned many years ago as a young salesperson that I did not control the quality of the product that I sold. Mm. The manufacturer controlled that. I did not control the company and its business practices that I work for. They control that. The only thing that the customer could buy from me that could make a difference that they could not buy anywhere else was me. How I presented myself, how I communicate with them, so forth and so on. Now, that speaks to a very poignant issue, Art, that I think we need to hone in on. Because as you said that you've traveled all around the world and we've both done so, America is, with all of its warts, all of its blemishes, and all of the things that are causing the uprise uh, in our world today, America still does offer that best opportunity. But we're looking at right now uh, a people group that don't necessarily know how to make the ends meet. And so could you speak a little bit about having the importance or the importance of having your financial life in order? Well, first of all, I try to tell young adults that while you want to get underneath the thumb of mom and dad and the educational system and be a free adult, you're never free in a capitalistic society unless you're 100% financially sustainable. If mom and dad's still supporting you, I don't care what your age is, you're not a real adult and you're not free. <laughs> okay. okay? So, so it starts with being able to take care of oneself. Okay. Okay. To be able to create more value in the marketplace than it's costing you as a consumer to, to live. So now I wish, I hope my kids are watching this, my, my, my two college kids are watching this. Um, so the importance of having your finances in order. So you talk about economic and financial freedom, about having your uh, finances in order. The opportunity that that presents um, and the discipline that it takes to attain that are two different things. We all want that financial freedom. We all want to not have to look at the sale prices to go in and buy whatever we want and anytime we want. But there's a discipline to that particular end. Can you speak on that discipline? Absolutely. Discipline. That's one of my favorite words in life, Pastor. And the reason why it is is because at the end of it all, we all want happiness. 
And there can be no happiness without discipline. Uh, life has a lot of curves, twists and turns, vices, challenges. Uh, and if you don't have the discipline to manage your life, one of those or some of those is going to suck you in. And you'll never uh, obtain and attain the economic and financial freedom that you're looking for. It's just not going to happen. So discipline is a, is a very, very important key. Now, let's, if I can kind of turn over here to uh, a personal reflection of your own life mm -hmm. um, and you going through what it took for you to become as successful as you are in business. Now, for those who don't know, those who are watching, you own a car dealership, a Toyota dealership in I Louisiana. I um, also owned a couple of uh, BMW dealerships uh, for quite a number of years. And so you've been in the car industry um, for 40 plus years, 41 years. Yes, sir. And you've made your mark in that industry and have been very successful in doing so. But kind of talk about some of the roadblocks that you've had to overcome in order to attain that level of success. Well, Pastor, to obtain any level of success that's beyond ordinary requires some extraordinary things happening, and some of those are, are blessings. Uh, I'd like to start with taking you back to the early years. I grew up in southern Louisiana, a little town called Opelousas, where, where as a kid I did field work in the outlying areas for as little as $2 a day. And uh, a few years ago I sold a business for an eight-figure profit. Mm. Now how do you get from $2 a day to an eight-figure profit? It's a long road. But it really all boils down to some of the foundational training that my parents taught me. Being one of nine kids, I was taught a work ethic from a very early age. I cannot remember not ever having chores, even from the mm -hmm. ages of four and five years old. So I think that at the end of the day, that's where it has to start. Young people have to be willing to work, willing to earn their keeps. Now, along with that, nobody gets from where I was to where I got by themselves. Uh, you'll find that when you become the right kind of person, people and opportunities are going to come into your life that you had no idea that they would. I think that the, the smart money people call that being in earnest. And when you're in earnest, providence comes your way, yeah. and you'd have no idea that that providence was going to come your way, yet still, if you weren't preparing yourself for those opportunities all along, they never would have gotten there. Now, we talk about the word luck. Well, luck is when opportunity and preparation meet. If you get an opportunity and not prepared, that's not luck. That's frustration, mm. <laughs> okay? That, that's something you're just not ready for. So it's going to come. And I tell young adults this. You're going to get two or three big opportunities in your lifetime. Make sure that when they come, you're already prepared and that you're not trying to have to scramble to get prepared because chances are you're going to lose that opportunity. So how do they recognize the opportunity? Well, first of all, success has clues. And again, part of the preparation says that you start by working harder on yourself than you work on your job because being the right kind of person is universal. If you're the right kind of person, you're a better pastor. If you're the right kind of person, you're a better father. If you're the right kind of person, you're a better friend. If you're the right kind of person, you better put in whatever the profession is. And so it starts with success and uh, economic empowerment becomes an inside job and you have to develop yourself. It, it, as an example, it's been said that 
If you want to have a standard income, a standard education will do. You want to be a doctor, lawyer, engineer, CPA, just look at the numbers. You're going to be slighted somewhere in what the, what the crowd's making. Mm -hmm. But if you want to have a special income and a special economic empowerment, you have to be willing to become self-educated. Mm. And that means to pour into yourself. Exactly. As an example, Bill Gates is known as Harvard's most famous dropout. <laughs> okay. Mm. But he self-educated himself to, to learn his craft and, and create so much value within the computer and software industry to the point where he's been known for the last 20, 30 years as one of the richest people on earth. So, so Art, within this framework in the last 10, 20 years, with the age of the Internet blasting the way that it is, social media, uh, the marketplace has changed and has opened up new dynamics that were not previously there. Uh, the old frame of thought was go to school four years, get your degree, work hard, find a job, to take, care, take care of yourself. There are now new economic opportunities that have been presented in this era uh, that were not previously recognized in, in previous generations. So how do we take that same mentality um, and apply it to a not necessarily traditional way of success and apply it to this now new way where there's so many different opportunities for income streams? Is it a one-size-fits-all? Is it kind of knowing the market, knowing what you bring to the market? Uh, speak on that a bit. It's never one-size-fits-all because there are no two people alike. Now, that being said, let's go back to some core things. Value, okay? Sure, the way that I do business today and the way I did business when I started 41 years ago, let's put it this way. If I did business today as I did 41 years ago, I would not have a business. Mm. The way you communicate with the customer in this digital revolution has become very, very different. Yet still, those same customers, when they go to my website, when they respond to an email blast, or respond to a text blast, they still want to hear that, hey, listen, I have a product that's better than average, I've got service that's better than average. I've got support that's better than average. Because at the end of the day, it's all about creating value in the marketplace. Just the way that we do it is different. So the way that we do it is different. Um, if I can just bring in that I was talking to my wife last night in preparation for this podcast, and I got to talking about my grandmother who uh, went on to glory two years ago at 84 years old and by far was the hardest working person that I've ever known in my entire life. I wasn't very educated. She worked as a uh, maid and as a, um, a dishwasher for most of her life and a cook, but she was the hardest working person that I've ever known. And she instilled some very hard working values in me. And as I looked at her and looked up on the shoulders and all the things that she tried to provide for this family, I told my wife that I owe my grandmother a duty, um, an obligation, if you will, to do better with my life than than what she had. There's a generation right now that is coming up, Art. Um, as you get to speak to this younger generation, and we have a lot of young people that watch, what's some of those key principles that you would like to speak to them about in this season of their life? Well, the first thing that I would want to talk to them about is I'd want to remind them that by mere fact that they're a child of God, that they've got some very special things inside of them. Young people do not hear that enough. So it, it has to start with self-esteem, feeling good about who you are, feeling that you're, you're just as worthy as anybody else on earth, 
to chase and accomplish your dreams to the extent that you do them and do not violate the laws of God and the laws of man. Uh, I would teach them work ethic. I would teach them the importance of learning how to communicate. Communicate. Uh, at the end of the day, nobody does it alone, and part of doing it is to sell others on your concepts. It, it's kind of like this. You're going to buy into somebody else's dream or somebody's going to buy into your dream, mm. okay? And to the extent that we know how to communicate with others, to the extent that we realize that everyone has a need. As a matter of fact, in the early years, during some of my self-help training, it was imparted to me this way. Say, so when you look at another person, imagine that they are a radio station, and on their forehead there are some call letters that says W-I-I-F-M. And those call letters means what's in it for me, mm. okay? Because at the end of the day, just as you want to accomplish your dreams and goals, well, other people have that same hope and vision, and to the extent that you can help them do that, they are going to be on board with you. Or as one of my mentors have said, you can get everything you want in life if you but help enough other people get what they want. It's a pretty simple process, and you got to do the helping first. So to believe in oneself, but Art, I come from third world. I don't know my father. You know, I got this, I got that, I got this. I got that. I don't have the same opportunities that you have. I don't have the same, you know, some, uh, environment that uh, this person has around me. The, the, my life is not like yours. What do you say? I say no two lives are alike. But at the end of the day, there has been many, many stories of kids who come from single-parent homes who went on to do phenomenal things. Money is not the, the difference. If money was the difference, there'd be no such thing as a rich kid who went bad, and there's been many of those, and there'd be no such thing as a poor kid who didn't make good, and there's many of those as well. Mm. It, it all boils down to some, some core fundamental beliefs. All right, Mr. Art Allen, um, I have a really, really important question um, that I would like you to kind of take some time and kind of walk through, um, and it is the importance of planning and self-development. Uh, you talked a lot about people that pour into themselves and and uh, self-help and things of that nature. But I'd like you to just kind of expound on the importance of having a good plan and the importance of pouring into yourself. Pastor, thank you for asking me that question because that question touches base on on something I'm very passionate about. I'm very passionate about the powerful potential of each person, yet that potential has to be tapped into, and it needs to be tapped into in unconventional ways. Uh, as an example, you, you may have heard me mention before the importance of working harder on oneself than one works on one's job. Well, to me, so much of it begins there. And, and when I say work hard on oneself, we're talking about things like be willing to learn more about your craft than the next person. Be willing to learn more about how to present what you know about your craft than the next person, which is all a part of, again, good communicating. Understand that at the end of it all, you do not judge how good you are. The people that you serve j judge that. They'll vote for you with their money, 
and they'll they'll vote for they'll they'll vote against you by spending their money elsewhere. Yeah. Okay, but you you control that by controlling what you bring. Uh, at its very essence, if I could share with this audience one thing that is going to be more important than anything else that I would ever say to them with regard to getting from where they are to economic and financial freedom is the importance of setting goals, the importance of learning how to set goals. And as far as I'm concerned, you know, way back in geometry, we learned that the shortest distance between any two points is a straight line. Well, because inertia happens, because things happen every day, if you don't know where you are in an absolute where you want to get and when you want to get there, there's so much of life's inertia that it can suck you in the wrong direction. It's not necessarily designed to suck you in a bad direction, but it'll suck in a direction that's not your intention. And as a byproduct of that, you find that you're not accomplishing your goals and are, it's taking you two and three times longer to accomplish those goals than you could otherwise have had you had those goals very clearly defined. So have you had to experience disappointment? And if you had, how did you transition? How did you adjust in those areas of disappointment? When you set up a goal and you didn't meet that goal, how did you deal with the disappointment of not meeting that goal? Okay. First of all, everybody fails. If you set a goal, it ought to be a goal that challenges you. I heard it put this way one time. It said a goal should be kind of like uh, the the essence or efficiency of a rubber band. If you got two letters in a rubber band, well, that rubber band has not nearly stretched its capacity. But when you put ten letters holding that rubber band together, it stretched a little more. And then you put twenty, it stretched a little bit more. Now the reality is that. You always want to make your goals challenging enough, challenging enough to create excitement. Yet still, you're going to fail at achieving a lot of your goals. But it's not achieving all of them that's important. It's what are you learning and what are you becoming along the way that's going to make it easier and make you more efficient achieving a bigger goal the next time. As an example, let's take, let's take sports. I, I like football. We're on the one-yard line, okay? The, 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 the end result is to get in the end zone, cross the goal line, right? So we get stopped on first down. We huddle up, call another play, action plan, go at it again. That doesn't work, call another play, action plan. Okay, let's say we get stopped on fourth down. That was better than getting stopped at the 50-yard line. Mm. And so though we got stopped on fourth down, the next time we're on the one-yard line, that's a good chance that we're going to be successful because we've been there, we've done that, we've got those failed experiences which sharpens our edge to build upon. So perspective. Perspective. And perspective changes everything. Absolutely. And experiences changes everything. And it's not, again, the attainment of the goal, but it's what you're becoming along the way toward diligently pursuing those goals. So, Art, as a, as a pastor um, – and dealing with um, the Word of God on a daily basis, um, I know that even in Christendom, uh, money plays a big part in our faith. Um, I often remind people that of the 30-plus parables that Jesus taught, 19 of them had to do with money. Jesus talked about money more than he talked about heaven. Jesus talked about money more than he talked about hell. Jesus talked about money more than he talked about the kingdom. 
But he said a very important um, statement in Matthew 6 and 21. He said, you can't serve both God and money. And so it's about setting the expectation, because oftentimes what we say is, as you said, the attainment is the goal. So if I get that dollar amount and I can pull up my bank account and see that dollar amount, then I've obtained it. But what if I've lost family along the way? What if I've lost my marriage along the way? What if I become miserable along the way? I've got the dollar amount that I was chasing, but I've lost so many other things along the journey. So how is that? How do you walk this fine balance of being driven, but keeping things in perspective so that you don't lose sight of the main goal? Well, pastor, a well-adjusted person learns early on in their career that the importance of balance is crucial. I totally agree with you. If I lose my family, don't create a friend, do not create any goodwill along the way, what good is attaining money? As I understand biblical passage, and I sure wouldn't debate that with a pastor, no less, it doesn't say that money's the root of all evil, it says that the love of money is the root of all evil. Uh, At the end of the day, I tell young people this all the time, if you want to figure out outcomes, follow the money, Mm. okay? Follow the money. Money will tell you a lot about uh, human behavior. It's an absolute necessity after air, water, and food. It's it's a close forward place, so we got to have it. You got to have it. (laughs) And so um, right now, so we got a lot of different things that are happening all at one time. We got protests. We got riots. We have um, Senate hearings. We got House of Representatives holding meetings over here. There's a lot of things converging on the landscape right now. Um, But as you would move forward, if you could say this is what I would like to happen in this moment Mm -hmm. for for the world at large, what would that be? Okay. Pastor, I've been in communication with the George Floyd family because after I saw that gruesome murder of George Floyd, I had enough. And uh, my communication with them is, I'm asking them for the permission to use the family name in a foundation that I'm going to create. And the vision of this foundation is that it's going to be the preeminent foundation in America that brings together every other foundation, every other organization, any other person who shares in part or in whole some of the values of this foundation. This foundation's core values are gonna be very similar to some of the things that you said. Uh, Judicial reform police reform, legislative reform. Uh, the vision for this foundation is, you know, I hear the, the Republicans use this phrase, make America great and make America great again. Well, I challenge them by saying, how can America ever truly been great when it has severely taking advantage of two of its races of people, that first race being the Native Americans. I mean, we, we, we kind of stole their land, you know? Mm-hmm. And then the second race is African Americans. And so the vision for the foundation that I'm creating is, is going to say, make America great for all Americans, finally. Mm-hmm. And that includes the things that I've mentioned, but it includes a lot of other things. We have to, as black Americans, we have to get into our own communities and and serve on the serve a little better. You know, there's a lot of 
violence that goes on in our communities within our youth and young adults that it's not as it should be. And we have to create mentoring programs and sell these young brothers and sisters hope that they don't have to feel that it's a doggy dog world or and that if I don't get mine, somebody's going to get me. That's, that has to go away. We have to kill that vicious cycle. So, Art, now that's, a, <laughs> that, that, that's going to take me into an area that, um, that I think, not, not I think, I know needs to be solidified. Um, I wholeheartedly reject the stereotype and the uh, stigma that has been put on black America as victims. Um, I often share that we stand on the shoulders of giants. Our forefathers and great-great-forefathers went through tremendous pain, tremendous heartache, and came through it because they were doing something better for the generation that was coming in front of them, or behind them. As we look at what's going on right now in judicial reform, educational reform, economic reform, and conversations like this help to move the needle, one of the issues that I think that we're trying to address on Studio B is addressing very specific issues about how to move that paradigm forward. So when you're looking at this particular foundation and going with grassroots uh, issues, how do you expect that to change in this culture that every time something like this comes up, George Floyd will not be the last, Art. Uh, unfortunately, unfortunately. Uh, we know that his, it's not going to be the last. Um, so how do you deal with that, uh, kind of like a salmon swimming upstream, when you're trying to create positive change, but you're met with so many negative forces? Well, Pastor, we teach young salespeople that the definition of insanity is when you do the same things over and over again and expect a different outcome. So just by fact of our mere survival, change has to happen. And I've got uh, some ideas, yet there's an old saying that all of us are smarter than some of us. And so I, I want to get to the experts who master in, in family development and child development. You know, there's some, some core things like, like keeping our family units in order. Of course, there are some outside forces that have negative impact that, like an unjust judicial system that's incarcerating unfairly too many of our black young men and breaking up family units. Mm -hmm. I was at a town hall meeting in Louisiana a couple of years ago in the town that I own a business and we had our state representative speak to us and she told us that in the state of Louisiana, as recently as two years ago, that it cost the state almost $45,000 to keep one person incarcerated for a year. Mm -hmm. Well, I've read a lot about a lot of different things and that relates to that topic. I've heard child development experts say that the first three years of a kid's life is the most impactful years of that kid's life. So as a nation, what's a bad investment? I, putting some money and development into those early years, into these underserved families, or incarcerate these young men have a string of incarcerations from their, from their family lines waiting to come up, or put that money into early development. And, and, and as these kids become young adults and adults, they become responsible taxpaying members of society as opposed to, number one, being very underserved themselves, and number two, being a financial burden to the rest of us. So in that, uh, Art, the, the facts are the facts. The data is the data. The data is not black. The data is not white. The data is the data. 
And when you're looking at prison reform as it relates to the United States of America that incarcerates per capita uh, more people than uh, the rest of the world combined, even though we make up 300 million of a $7.5 billion uh, um, uh, billion person population. When you got 600,000 people that are released from prison every single year, but they're released without skill sets to go back into an environment to be productive members of that environment, the recidivism rate is absolutely astronomical. So there's this big revolving door in the prison system. Well, like you said, to follow the money. If the money is in the prison system, and the more money is in the prison system than it would be to educate that kid in early childhood development, how do you switch that? Well, first of all, when you follow the money, you, you, you have to identify who owns the prisons, and you have to create dialogue with, with those people. And uh, I think it would be unreasonable to ask and expect that they're going to change their business model overnight. But uh, I remember there was a, a story of a time when, when in a great southern city, cotton was king. And one season, there was an organism called a boll weaver that destroyed all the cotton crops. Now, by force, these people had to learn how to diversify and create what they would say in the business schools is a sustainable business model. Mm -hmm. And so we have to sit with the people who are building prisons and say, hey, listen, uh, this is not a sustainable business model. This is not a model that's going to allow America to stay the number one economic power in the world. As a practical matter, uh, we owe the Chinese one trillion plus dollars. As a practical matter, the Chinese have nuclear weapons, as we do. As a practical matter, the Chinese have one billion more citizens than we do. Uh, as bad as the current political administration is, I think I would take my chances under that administration, I would take my chances under, under the Chinese administration. Mm -hmm. So we have to bring all the resources that America has to offer together and solve this problem. It may not be incumbent today, but who knows what's going to happen five or ten years from now. I like to reference back to an Abraham Lincoln statement. He said, hey, Murder, I don't fear for America, but suicide, I do. We're killing ourselves. We need all of the resources and all of the people with all of our citizenships to be as productive as possible to continue to be a world leader and example for the rest of the world. So a cooperative effort, and in business terms, uh, cooperation uh, equals profit, because you said that you, no one does it by itself. Absolutely. And so I think that's a very uh, powerful statement. I guess that's one of the reasons why you put so much time, energy, and effort and to building up the young people to give them that, that kind of hope uh, for, for the future. Well, Pastor, as I was reminded in listening to a podcast three weeks ago by our ex-President Obama, uh, revolutions have always been put on the shoulders of the youth. You know, our generations create all these ills, but it's the young adults who, who we leave to fix it. At the end of the day, we have to empower our young adults to to A, understand broader dynamics, and B, give them the support and the tools that they need to make these things happen. I mean, we won't be around to see a lot of this. Some of the things that I'm talking about in the foundation that, that we're about to create 
in my opinion, it's a hundred years solution. Mm-hmm. Well, and you know, I'd like to think that any of us in this room is going to be around, but there's a great chance that none of us will. Mm-hmm. Yet still, the time is now because we have a better cross-section and demographic of, of races and age groups, uh, even nationalities and even international support to impact some world change, and it, it needs to begin now. And Art, that's what I'm saying about this particular moment in history. For whatever reason, God has used George Floyd and that horrible murder that we all witnessed on camera to not just put the eyes of America up on itself, but God has literally put the platform of America on the stage of the world. And I don't know if we don't take advantage of this opportunity in the very strategic way if that opportunity that you speak of, because you're presented with two or three opportunities, this is one of those opportunities for us to really uh, create some dialogue that can lead to some lasting change. I would just say that I have four children, 2019, 17, and 15. And I discuss with them at length. I live in a predominantly white neighborhood. My little 15-year-old daughter was jogging some weeks ago, jogging down the um, sidewalk. And an older lady was coming this way, and she stops, and the older white lady tells my 15-year-old daughter, you need to move. You don't need to be on the same sidewalk as me. (laughs) Now, this is my 15-year-old daughter uh, interacting with a 50-plus-year-old woman. Now, I've tried my best, Art, to provide a life that my kids could enjoy that I never had. Mm -hmm. So I'm, I'm, I'm fighting for something outside of myself. Uh, I won't be here in 60, 70 years. But trying to provide an opportunity that will benefit them as they get older and my grandkids and great-grandkids. So with this moment that we're now presently presented, conversations like this with specific solutions about what to address and how to address them and empowering the youth that's coming up in behind us, I think is going to be vital to this next movement that we're, that we're seeking. So I want to ask you this. What's your hope for the future? My hope for the future is that America is made great for all Americans finally, okay? That's my hope. That's my vision for the future. And that has a lot of moving variables to it. As I said earlier, we're going to create the preeminent foundation right here in Houston, Texas. The wheels are already turning to make that happen between the attorney CPAs and, again, the Floyd family. We've got an alternate name that we'd like to name the foundation after, but if, uh, if we don't go to the Floyd family, we've got that covered. But the reality is that there are uh, lots of moving components to this. Uh, unfortunately, some of that solution is going to have to be getting in communities and communicating with people who would rather not have to deal with us. Okay? I was watching, tell you an interesting story to make this point. I spent a good part of my career as an automobile dealer down in Corpus Christi, Texas. And about 20 years ago, I'm lying across my bed on Saturday morning, channel surfing. Didn't have a whole lot going on that morning. And there was a program on television called Latino Talk. And they were interviewing the great Carlos Santana. I've been a great fan of Carlos Santana, the musician, for many years. 
I hadn't seen him since I was a freshman in college way back in the early 70s. And I'd never, ever heard him talk. I would say, okay, I want to watch this. I want to see where Carlos's brain is, see where his head and his heart is. And I watched this program, and I learned by listening to the moderator's question that Carlos Santana was uh, in an, in a, an interracial marriage. His wife was a woman of African uh, heritage, and they had two biracial daughters. And they asked Carlos, Carlos, how do you feel, how do you respond to it when you experience racial prejudice just because your wife is not the same coach as you are? Carlos said, you know, when somebody don't like you because of who you are, I don't like to label it as prejudice. I just look at them as having shallow souls. Mm-hmm. They've got shallow souls. And I'm like, you know, Carlos, that's beautiful. i got to remember that. And so we've got a lot of people out there with shallow souls that, uh, God willing, that there's still time to convert some of those shallow souls. But at the end of the day, it's all about communicating, communicating, uh, sharing our differences, uh, understanding that the Fortune 500 CEO and the person that lives underneath the bridge, the homeless person, they have more things in common by mere fact that they're human beings than they have differences. But there's so many layers of separations and distances in society. As an example, if those two people, let's say the one happened to be a male, the other happened to be a female, one's in the ivory tower, one's under the bridge, and they were the last two people on earth, they would find a way to communicate. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and celebrate and embrace their commonness, and they'll find that they've got a lot in common, and mankind would continue to move forward. So that's, that's the mindset that we have to perpetuate in this society. Well, I'm, uh, I'm excited. Um, <laughs> um, it's not being overly optimistic. I, I believe it is a grounded excitement that can really see some positive change um, even with this very difficult situation that we're going through right now. And I, I am um, of the belief that nothing is too hard for God. Uh, I do believe that God is a sovereign God and that nothing catches him by surprise. So this moment uh, was woven out in the channels of history long before it even began. But I think that if we come together in forums like this where we are having the conversations um, to drive the issues forward, Uh, I'm passionate about education reform and economic and judicial reform. Uh, Those are some of the things that that really tug at my heart. And if I could just push a button, Art, uh, to give a heart transplant to America, I would. I think one of the things that America has to do is to first acknowledge um, the history. Uh, Maybe if we can do something like South Africa did with the conciliation summits, when all of South, uh, South Africa from the highest levels of government all the way down came to a roundtable summit and acknowledged apartheid, acknowledged that what we did was wrong, and they consiled the people that were harmed through that horrible event called apartheid. Uh, America has not done that. Um, We take examples like yourself and uh, Barack Obama and uh, Pastor August and uh, Pastor Holman and those who have attained a little success and perch them up and say, see, 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 it's okay. And while those may be great examples to look at, it does not um, forget about the past that America has. Uh, but I want to ask you, as I ask every guest that has been on uh, that's been on the podcast for the last few weeks, what are you currently doing right now to help in to heal some of today's issues? Pastor, as I elaborated a little earlier, 
as we speak, I've got the wheels in motion to create a foundation, a nonprofit foundation that's designed to address all of the collective ills in America. Okay? Now, some of the things that are on the forefront of the media, like uh, the murder of George Floyd, uh, police injustice, judicial injustices, legislative reforms, the, the culture of police and how it's a sickening culture, those are some of the things that ought to be addressed sooner than later. Mm -hmm. But there are a lot of other issues, uh, financial inequities. Now, and as I say that, I am a capitalist. I love the fact that as Americans, we work and operate in a system, an economic system that allows us to, to increase our gain, our worth, and our value. Yes. I like that system. Yes. Yet still, we, those of us that are fortunate enough to take part in the American dream, we have an equal responsibility to give back and to help empower those who were not as fortunate as we were. Because at the end of the day, we were all given some breaks that we did not have a whole lot to do with earning. They were just bestowed upon us by, by Heavenly God. My mother, who I lost two years ago, reminded me often that all of my good successes were not all my own. A whole lot of it had to do with her prayers. Yes, <laughs> okay. She reminded me that often. But we, we have we all have a responsibility in that. And you know, I'm, I'm gonna say this. When I was a young adult, I used to listen to the comedian Dick Gregory a lot. And then Dick Gregory became a political comedian. And something he said way back when I was a 20 year old that has resonated within me ever since. Dick Gregory said, you know. When it's time to go see your maker, he's not going to ask what neighborhood you lived in, where your mm -hmm. kids went to school, what kind of house you, you lived in, and what kind of bank account you have. He said, you're going to be judged by this one question. And I get teary-eyed when I, when, I, when I say this, share the story. He said, you're going to be judged by how much service did you give to your fellow human beings, mm -hmm. okay? And to the extent that you've been given more blessings, you have a broader responsibility to provide and give some of those services. And that's what it's all about. Now, if we could take that and put it in a neon sign and plaster it around the world, Art, I believe that that is the key to reconciliation. Um, you know, Jesus said it like this, love your neighbor as you love yourself. And whatever you wouldn't do to yourself, then don't do it to your neighbor. If you wouldn't hurt yourself, then why hurt your neighbor? Um, love is the only thing. And I know sometimes when I, as a pastor, when I say stuff like this, it's a, pie in the sky oh that's not that's too spiritual it's not on the ground kind of stuff but i do believe that the only way to conquer hate is through consistent love no doubt. and so when you're looking at how we got to where we are right now um, i believe it's going to take men and women who are bold enough to step up to this challenge and say i will do what is not expected of me i will go that extra mile i will I will try to reconcile that, that, that relationship. And I think that that's important that we would understand that in this environment that we're in right now. Because the kumbayas are only gonna last for so long until we really put some meat on the bone and start talking about some real collective issues. I wanna get to this and let you expound on this. Um, there's been a lot of talk for the last year or so when all of this really started coming up about Black Wall Street, 
1921, the most prosperous black community that has ever walked the face of the planet in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and unfortunately got bombed by KKK and got set on fire because they were envious of the economic prosperity of these black people uh, in 1920, uh, 1921. So historically known as uh, Black Wall Street. Uh, when you're talking about financial freedom for the black man, um, what does that look like? Is financial freedom being able to go out and buy whatever kind of car that I want? Or is it? I mean, what does financial freedom look like? Well, I think, Pastor, that different people would have the variance of, of responses to that question. But for me, financial freedom is, first of all, within reason, having the ability to have money be a secondary consideration. Uh, for me, it's the freedom of not having to compromise one's values. Many years ago, in my self-education, I read in a book, the guy was talking about that topic, and he said, to the extent that you can be controlled by money, you're never free, mm. okay? To the extent that you can be controlled by money, you're never free. And, and so we, we teach the young kids in, in the mentoring program that if we're going to teach you how to attain health, wealth, and happiness without selling your soul, because mm. as mentioned earlier, so what is it if you gain all the wealth in the world and you've lost your family, you don't have friends, you've not done anything for humanity? You know, that's not a successful life. It's not a successful life at all. And so you may have financial freedom, but you got to buy everything you get because you've created no goodwill anywhere mm. you've gone. And uh, I think a balanced life with some discipline in how we manage that financial blessing is really what success and the whole thing is all about. Well, I've never heard it put like that, and I want to see if I can paraphrase it, and, and please help me. So you, financial freedom is having money be a secondary concern. Exactly. Let's say, for example, you want to buy a car, okay? Let's forget about the price of the car. Let's decide what kind of car we want. Let's decide how many horsepower within a reason. Let's decide what style it needs to be. Let's decide what are some of the options that we got to have in the car. Let's decide the style of the car, then we'll worry about the money last. <laughs> <laughs> and to have the ability to do that, it's a beautiful position to be in. That's a beautiful position to be in. <laughs> well, I, I, I'm going to take that. I'm, I'm uh, make sure that I remember. Y'all make sure that y'all uh, email me that because I, I want to use that. Uh, Art, I want to thank you, um, my friend. Um, as the uh, host of Studio B, I'm trying to make sure that we bring together uh, people with particular skill sets and areas of advancement that we need to be talking about. And not just have a whole bunch of talking heads about people talking about nothing. Um, your story is an absolute uh, gem. Um, I've gotten to know you on the mission trips. I know your sister um, and your family to a degree. Um, and my friend, I want to just personally say and publicly say congratulations on all that God has done for you. And congratulations on how you're giving back in spite of or in addition to the success that God has granted you. That's one thing that I don't think we see enough of is the giving back uh, mechanism from those who have reached a certain level. And so I want to publicly congratulate you and thank you for joining us here on Studio B. Pastor, you're very welcome. And I want to thank you all for giving me an opportunity to 
to share the platform that that we're about to undertake and to to share and to give back to to you and to your audience some of the tried and true things that has made an absolute difference in my career and again at the end of the day no one does it alone we we all need others helping us we all need blessings but we have to be prepared when that big break arises and for those who don't know mr art allen is uh, teaching a class on mondays uh, from 9 until 12 and it is called a piece of the action to where he is powering our young people to have an entrepreneurial mindset on how to plan, how to develop, and set those goals that we've talked about here and doing this podcast. And so entrepreneurship and economic advancement is what we're talking about, and I hope um, that you guys have found this to be helpful. And I pray that you even take some of these principles that we talked about and apply it in your own life. For those who are following us, Facebook, Twitter, IG, and YouTube, make sure that you like, subscribe, and follow. And Lord willing, we'll see you guys next week.